Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Edus or Edut, testimony. Pedic Shneimosar, chapter 12. Now we talked about a whole long list of people who are disqualified either because of who they are or because of what they have done. They are disqualified to testify. One of those is a sinner, someone who publicly and blatantly transgresses mitzvahs. So now he says, kol hanifsol ba'aveda, anyone who's disqualified because of a transgression he committed, im he'idu olav shnei edim aveda plainis. That can be established if two witnesses testify that he committed this transgression. Even though in other settings we learned that in order for two witnesses to be able to have a meaningful testimony that somebody committed a transgression, they have to first warn him. Here we don't need warning because we're not talking about punishment. We're talking about disqualification of testimony. There is no punishment, there's no lashes or anything. Therefore, the warning is unnecessary. All we need is the testimony that this person transgressed. That makes the person who sinned disqualified. He may not testify. Now he says, When does this apply? That somebody who committed a serious transgression for which Malchus is given ordinarily. As we explained earlier. When he committed a transgression that was known to everyone, the average person knew that this was a transgression. Again, for example, this fellow swore falsely. Everybody knows that swearing falsely is a transgression. Or swearing unnecessarily. People actually have a, a bad habit. They say, hey, I swear to God, it's Thursday today. That's called swearing falsely, because if today is Thursday, you don't need to swear to God. You just need to look at a calendar. A gozal, so that's one transgression, which is obvious to all that it's a transgression. Another example, a gozal, he robbed. He went into a 7-Eleven and robbed a 7-Eleven. A gonav, or he snuck in through the basement and stole Everything in the house. Or he ate from meat that died on its own and was not slaughtered ritually. Or any other example, these are transgressions. Every child knows that these are Torah transgressions. Abel, however, if witnesses observed him, Aver transgressing, Aldovar, over a matter, where it's very possible that the person who did it, did it inadvertently. He wasn't even aware it was forbidden. In this case, they need to warn him. And only after that will they become unfit for testimony. Why is that? Because maybe when they committed and they did this deed, they had no idea it was forbidden. Ketzad, for example. What is an example of a transgression which the average person might not know is forbidden? When you get to the complex transgressions of Shabbos. 
which we learned in great detail in our Rambam journey. Ra'uhu kaisher, what if they saw him tying a permanent knot on Shabbos? You're not allowed to tie a knot on Shabbos. A matir b'Shabbos, or they saw him untying a permanent knot on Shabbos. We need to inform him, Mister, you just desecrated Shabbos, or you're about to desecrate Shabbos. The guy says, really? I had no idea that tying a knot was desecrating Shabbos. That's why when we tie our shoes on Shabbos, we have to make sure that we tie a bow and not a knot. The average person has no idea that tying a knot is part of the violation process of Shabbos. And so also if they observed him. Performing any type of act, labor on Shabbos. There's another possibility. The other possibility is the guy forgot it's Shabbos. They must inform him Shabbos, that today is Shabbos. Did you know today is Shabbos? Oh, I forgot. Well, that's not a blatant violator of mitzvahs. That's somebody with a weak memory. Shema Shecheach, who perhaps he forgot. Vechein, and so also. Hamasachik Bekub Yutomid. We learned earlier that one of the transgressions which disqualifies someone from testifying is a dice player, a regular, habitual dice player. A Mishanas and Mechis, or someone who becomes a collector of customs tax, a gabai or a treasurer of regular government tax who takes more than the government allocates. All of these are transgressions, we learned. The witnesses must inform him, you should know, mister, that doing this will disqualify you from being able to testify. Really? I had no idea that playing dice will disqualify me from being able to testify. The majority of the people are not aware of this. And so also, anything similar. The bottom line is, any transgression. That it seems obvious that the prospective witness knew that this would make him into a transgressor. The other bizarre than any intentionally transgressed, even though they didn't formally warn him, this person is disqualified to testify. But still, he never receives lashes because he was never warned. Bayes, interesting law. and they should be as quiet as possible. A person is never disqualified due to a transgression on his own, meaning he admits that he's a transgressor. Ketzat, for example, if somebody comes to court, and he said, he says, I'm here to tell you, Mr. Court, that I stole money. A gozel, or I robbed money. A hilva beribis, or I made interest-bearing loans. 
even though that admission is enough to have him pay and return the money, so he's not disqualified. Why? Because a person cannot be disqualified due to a transgression by admitting it on his own. We never believe someone when he admits to doing something sinful. So also, Omar, if he said, he says, listen, I ate something unkosher, or I had relations with a woman who was forbidden to me. That statement will not make him unfit to testify because of the principle we learned earlier, again and again, a person does not designate himself as wicked. We, don't, we just don't believe him. No credibility. Who can designate a person as a sinner? Two witnesses. A person can never deem himself as wicked on the basis of his own testimony. Lefichal, therefore, here's an interesting scenario. Ruvain, Mr. A, let's call him Ruvain, Sheheid all of Shimon, where Shimon testified, Shehilva Beribis, that Ruvain regularly and habitually made interest bearing loans in a way that is forbidden by Torah law. The Heyid Levi Omar, that's one witness. Shimon. Along comes another witness, Levi, and says, huh, the Omar, he says, you bet. Lee, Hilva Beribis. I'm an example. I borrowed from him. That's two witnesses. One is Shimon who says, Reuben lends money in an interest-bearing way. Levi says, I borrowed. So he's a witness too. Hare Reuben nipsel be'edus Shimon ve'levi. So Reuben became disqualified due to the testimony of Shimon and Levi. Even though here, Levi admitted in his testimony that he himself borrowed an interest-bearing loan, which is a transgression itself, because both the lender and the borrower are transgressions. But still, Levi cannot make himself a Rosha, a wicked person, a sinner. And here's an interesting scenario. He is believed when he testifies about Reuben. He's not believed when he testifies about himself. Why? Because if we believed him when he testified about himself, he would have disqualified himself as a witness, and he would not be able to testify about Reuben. This is an interesting principle. The halachic title of this principle is Palginon Dibure. We split his words in half. We believe half of what he says. We don't necessarily believe the other half of what he says. We believe that Reuben made an interest-bearing loan. We don't believe that he, Levi, borrowed the money in that loan. Why? Because when he testifies about someone else, he has credibility. When he testifies that he himself transgressed, we can't believe him. So also, along the same lines, if somebody testified that so-and-so, sodomized him, whether it was forceful, so that would be what we call in our world rape, 
bein birtsayne or willingly who the achar mitstarpin lahorgay then he and one other witness can combine as two witnesses to have this actually go to trial and possibly have capital punishment applied why because we believe him when he testifies about the person who was the perpetrator we do not believe him when he testifies about himself again palginon dibure we split his words another example plainly boalishte what if somebody alishti somebody testifies that so and so had relations with his wife Reuben testifies that Shimon had relations with Reuben's wife. That's called biblical adultery. Who ba'achar mitzdarfin lahorge? If all other conditions were correct, where there was warning and so on, then he and the other person can combine to act as the two witnesses to make this a capital case. Avo loy lahorge, but she cannot be tried in a capital case. Why? Because one of the witnesses is her husband. And a husband and wife are considered as one unit, and therefore a husband can never testify against a wife. So therefore, he can testify that somebody had relations with his wife, and possibly have that a capital offense if the conditions are right. But he can never testify against his own wife because it's like testifying against himself. Chayin kol kayetsu bazar, anything similar. Another example: Plainly, Rava Ashedi, so and so had relations with my ox, which is forbidden against Torah law for a human being to have relations with an animal. Huva Achan Mitzdarfin Lahorge. Then the person who says so and so had relations with my ox, he and another witness could combine as two witnesses to have this perpetrator possibly tried in a capital case. Why? Because a person is not considered related to his financial things, matters. Therefore, the ox is not related to him. The ox is owned by him. The ox is property, not a relative. So these are fascinating examples of the idea of believing half of what a person says to the extent that he can be a Witness not believing, rejecting the other half, because he's confessing something about himself. Gimol shnayim shehei du al echad shuposlam me aveda me elu aveda is two people testified about one person that he has habitually transgressed one of the transgressions. And along come two witnesses and testified. That he repented. And the testimony was, yes, he once sinned, but no longer. He repented. Repentance undoes the sin. Or he received his punishment of lashes. We learned earlier that if somebody is lashed, he's considered as having repented. This person is now kosher to testify. Why? He did once transgress, or he did habitually transgress, but he repented. If two people, two witnesses came along, and contradicted the two witnesses who said he repented. The Yomru, and they said, it's not true. 
I'm sorry, contradicting the fact that he sinned. He says he never did this sin. In that case, he may or may not be disqualified. Therefore, because we're not sure, he should not testify. And we never remove money from the possession of one person to the possession of another. Nor should he be a judge. Until we're sure that he did repent. So we see that these are serious laws in the case of witnesses and even judges. Dalid, kol mishin is chayav malkas, as we learned earlier, anybody who was culpable and did something which would give him the punishment of malkus, of lashes, bein sh'asa tshuva, whether he repented, bein sh'alaka bebezn, he repented because he never got the lashes because there was no warning, or he was actually lashed in the court, but in any event, he reverts back to a state of being a kosher witness. Abel, however, any other disqualified witnesses, who become disqualified, because they took someone else's money. Even though they made restitution and returned the money, returning the money is in and of itself not repentance. They require an act of repentance, and they retain the status of being disqualified witnesses, until it is ascertained, until it becomes known, that they repented from their negative ways. Now comes the actual question, what is the point of return when it comes to repentance? For example, if somebody blatantly violates the laws, of making interest-bearing loans to fellow Jews. At what point in time do we say, oh, that person repented? The answer is, the guy's a loan shark. The answer is, when this lender tears up all his loan shark documents, and totally repents and changes his ways. Where he moves away from that entire practice, he stops making these kinds of loans, which are forbidden by Torah law, even to non-Jews. We learned earlier that it's permissible to make an interest-bearing loan to a non-Jew. That's the way of the world. But in this case, we want this guy to go above and beyond the call of duty even to cease this practice with non-Jews. Another example, Vov 6, if somebody is a habitual dice player, and as we learned earlier, he has no other living, he's a professional gambler, at what point in time does he repent? Is he considered a penitent? And when he breaks his dice, he crushes his dice, and makes a commitment that he'll never go back to his ways of becoming a compulsive gambler. And he makes a commitment that he'll stop gambling even without money. Obviously, gambling means for money. But he'll stop gambling even without money. Again, going the extra mile. One of the 
transgressions we learned before is somebody who has dove coats and he sends out his doves to fetch other people's doves. He sends out a male to bring back a female for a date. When they destroy the tools that these dove coat owners have. Because we learned it is prohibited to have a dove coat in an area of private properties. And they'll go and experience a complete repentance. That they won't even get into this kind of work even in a desert community. Again, going the extra mile because there's nothing wrong with doing it in a desert community. Ches, we learned earlier, one of these prohibitions is people who do business in the sabbatical year with produce that should be available to everyone. They hoard the produce and do business. That's a transgression which disqualifies someone from being able to testify. At what point in time is it clear that this sabbatical year merchant repented? When the sabbatical year comes around, the Yibotku and the courts will inspect him and see that he no longer does this. It's not, that he, not merely that he no longer does this. So he actually has to issue a document that says, Ani, I, plainly been plainly so and so, kinasti masayim zuz, me paid a shviyas. At one point in time, I put together a large amount of money, 200 zuz, from profits I made from illegally selling sabbatical foods, sabbatical year foods. Now I have repented, and I have now given this away to help the poor. That's a sign of repentance. Moving right along, at what point in time can we be clear that somebody who violated the laws of oaths and took a false oath has repented? When he comes to a court, who do not recognize him, because if he comes to a court that do recognize him, they will not let him take an oath. He has to come to a court that does not recognize him, and they'll let him take an oath because of a scenario he finds himself in. And he will voluntarily make a statement and say, listen, I appreciate you letting me take an oath and take the money owed to me, but I want you to know, it's, I'm not proud to say it, I am suspect of taking false oaths. That's when we know he has really repented, when he voluntarily makes that admission, which is very embarrassing. Or he'll be obligated for an oath. In a court, a court that does not know him. For a lot of money. The court will tell him, you have to pay a million dollars. Or you can take an oath that you don't owe the million dollars. The Yishalem, and he'll say, never mind, I'm going to pay the million dollars. I should not be taking oaths. Then we know that he has repented. Because he made, he had a major loss for this act of repentance. The Chain, so also another example, one of the most serious transgressions that could possibly be is a butcher who sells non-kosher meat or a shochet. Tabach a butcher, who himself would check the meats 
to make sure they're kosher. I believe this means for his own consumption. But then he sold non-kosher meat to customers. Well, anybody who sells non-kosher meat to customers is suspect of violating the kosher laws himself. Another interpretation is he's the one that checked the inside of the animal to make sure it had no lesions. That's the acrostic of shub, shochet ubodek, the one who slaughters and the one who checks lesions. So he used to check the lesions on his own, but he was caught selling non-kosher meat to others. He's unfit for testimony. Why? Because selling non-kosher food is like eating non-kosher food. Until we see his deed, that he repented. And this is interesting. A butcher who is caught selling non-kosher meat cannot just say, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. But it's a real serious transgression. How do we ever know that he repented? The Yilbashchirim, he has to wear black clothes. The Yachaseshchirim, and cover himself in black, which is a sign of, he's sort of excommunicated, he's out of the system. He should go to a strange city where nobody knows him. And if he finds a lot of money in a lost and found situation, and he returns it, that shows that he's not as greedy for money as he was. Why would a butcher sell non-kosher meat? Because he makes a lot of money. Or he sees to it that something that he only he knows is non-kosher is exposed, and he shows the world who doesn't even know him that he has repented. And similarly speaking, eight zomim, the closing paragraph, a perjurer, a witness who lies. Why do witnesses lie? Because they get paid well for lying. Because that's where the money is. He went to a place where they don't know him. They gave him a lot of money. They offered him a king's ransom to testify falsely. And he refused. This would be an example of someone who repented. And he went back to his status of being a kosher Jew who can testify. Any other similar examples. End of chapter 12.